Pepper and... This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Unless you become as a little child, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Sounds strange, doesn't it? We don't normally think that way, but that's exactly what Jesus said, and that was his viewpoint. And as we know, viewpoint determines destiny... Every day here on Viewpoint, we understand that Viewpoint determines destiny, and Jesus' viewpoint concerning children must have something significant to say to us, and maybe, maybe, just maybe, we haven't shared his viewpoint. And what if that were true? Would that have any effect upon what has been happening in our country, what's been happening in our churches, what's been happening among our young people? What do you think of this? Less than 10% of parents who regularly attend church, read the Bible, pray together, or serve God together as a family. Only a third of evangelical Christian parents place a high priority on their children's spiritual life. The primary responsibility for their children's spiritual development, they have abdicated and delegated to their church. So how in the world did God intend for faith to be passed from one generation to another through our children if we don't consider our children that important from God's viewpoint? You say, well, I I consider my children important. I, I do everything. I've got them in all kinds of programs. I've got them in this, that, or the other. I've got them in music. I've got them in sports. I've got them in all kinds of programs. Yes, but let me ask you a question. Did God ever suggest to you to have your children in programs? I don't find the word program once in the entire Bible. Is it possible that perhaps we have adopted a cultural value system that is inconsistent with God's value system, and that because of that, we have unwittingly led our children really almost to the edge of perdition, like the Pied Piper leading them down off the cliff because we didn't understand or share God's viewpoint. Today on Viewpoint, our special guest is going to help us with this. Julie Kurtz has written a book called For the Faith of the Next Generation, For the Faith of the Next Generation, But the next generation isn't doing too well to follow the faith, considering, according to George Barna, less than 9% of professing Christian young people really believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. Unbelievable. And that's of the Christian young people. They don't believe in absolute truth. They just don't absolutely don't believe in absolute truth. How did that happen? Did we as parents and grandparents have anything to do with it? Or was it all the pastor's fault? Or the youth leader's fault? Or the school teacher's fault? Again, I welcome you to Viewpoint. I trust today 
with an open and honest conversation together that your family, your life, your kids, your grandparents, your kids, your grandkids are going to understand and have a whole new realm of life open before them. The next generation for the faith of the next generation. Dr. Julie Kurtz joining us. Julie, it's good to have you on the program. Thank you so much for inviting me. And indeed, we're looking at some very, very challenging things. There's no way to, uh, you, you can't mince any words over this because we played that game for so long now and uh, pretended that we had virtually nothing to do with what's happening uh, with our kids and the reason why less than uh, 20% of them continue on uh, in the church and with their faith after they have graduated from high school. Something's really uh, gone wrong, hasn't it? Yes, it has. We have evaluated the wrong things, um, and I, I believe as a children's director, I was um, evaluating programming and how well we were doing getting kids to come and and if we were growing, if if our programming was well done and we never considered if what we were doing in our programming was impacting the life of the family, if it was impacting parents' involvement with their children. And I always say at the very beginning that no one had bad intentions. As a children's director, I wanted all my kids to know Jesus and to get safely to heaven. And I know that parents um, did the same. They're looking for churches, um, the best churches they could find that fit their children. Um, and churches were telling them, bring their children to us. We will spiritually develop them. But we have gotten it wrong. We have been evaluating the wrong things. Um, and so now we have a challenge before us, and I believe that, that God will help us as we look back and see what we've done and, and now look forward to what we can do in the church. Well, Julie, you know, there's a growing sense uh, among professing Christians everywhere that we're on the near edge of the second coming of Jesus Christ. And if that be true then this becomes even more serious, doesn't it? Uh, yes. Uh-huh. Because if we really, you know, if, if we really expect that our children are going to make it into the pearly gates, and if we really expect that they're going to have a true and godly relationship with the creator of the universe and with his son, Jesus Christ, then something is going to have to change because what has been happening for the past two generations just ain't working. Right. It is not. And we have opportunities now to, for the church to change its role and come alongside parents and help them with the spiritual development, which is what God intended from the beginning. Um, in Deuteronomy 6, Psalm 78, God perfectly designed the home to lead their children and to disciple children into faith in, with Jesus. And that is where the responsibility lies. Um, but 
our our problem and our challenge has been that most of us have not had a role model that did this well in our lives. So it's difficult to know how to do it um, and so and what we should do. So we need to look to the church to um, help train parents to make them aware of of the importance of their role in their kids' lives and to give them resources and training and help with this um, very challenging task that is before us. Well, we're going to discuss this uh, and probe deeply into the matter, and I'm so glad that you've joined us, Julie, uh, from Phoenix, Arizona. Friends, uh, this wonderful book, For the Faith of the Next Generation, uh, $23 is going to put it in your hands, a lifesaver for many families and for our congregations. I hope you get a copy of it. It's on our website, saveus.org. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. How do we build woke-proof kids in a morally degrading world? It's an increasingly moral degrading world, and the more we rest uh, upon the uh, culture to define the future of our children, the more degrading it becomes. And it's not only degrading in general, it's degrading to our families, it's degrading even to the broader body of Christ. And so today on Viewpoint, we want to talk about what we do to change the course of destiny now for our children and our grandchildren. You see, this is our primary responsibility. Our primary responsibility is not to earn a living. Our primary responsibility is not to own two or three cars. Our primary responsibility is not even to attend church. Our primary responsibility is to train up our children in the way of the Lord, the word, the will, and the ways of the Lord. That is our a parent's primary responsibility. I'll tell you, I took that very seriously, uh, Julie, uh, when I had been a, a, a teacher in California for uh, seven years, nine years actually, and began to go to law school and then practicing law in, in California, raising up uh, three daughters. And from the very moment our first daughter was born, uh, seven years after we were married, I'll rem- I never will forget how I carried her in my arms when she was just a few months old. And every evening after dinner, I would take her for a little walk holding her and speaking the word of God into her life. That daughter now has worked for me uh, since she was 10 years of age, and she is the administrator, the chief cook and bottle washer, so to speak, of Save America Ministries, and has a love for the Lord, and uh, has uh, sought his holy purposes now for all these many, many years. But it began with an investment of relationship between her and the Lord, 
even when she was not even one year old. I think we just don't give much credit to our kids these days. I think you're right. And, and what you did was, was what our children need in, our, in their lives. Um, they need to be connected to our faith, and they need to see how important our faith is in our lives. And our children, they really know what we love. They, they know um, they know genuine faith. And, and when we show them our, that real faith in our lives, it hopefully will want them to want it themselves. And, and that becomes the motivation of their faith in Jesus. And we can lean them off into that relationship. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you've been married for 50 years and uh, have three, uh, three kids and seven grandchildren. Is it still seven? Yes, still seven. <laughs> And yep. let me ask you a question, uh, because we have 10 grandchildren and one great-grandchild. And uh, do you see the role of grandparents as uh, serious in uh, spiritual leadership and discipleship for children? I do. Um, and it's just my joy to um, get to know my grandkids and to to really show them Jesus through my life and through the, the teaching that, that I'm able to do um, with them when I when I get the chance to be with them. Mm-hmm. We have our our grandkids, we like to have them over to our house um, one at a time so we can really get to know them. And um, That's a that, great that, point. That's I a great point because times. if you just have them all together, uh it doesn't afford the same kind of opportunities, does it? Exactly. Yeah. So when we have them by themselves, we can really focus on them and um, make them feel really special in the way God has made them and show them show them Jesus. You know, one of the things uh, that I think perhaps we err on, uh, Julie, is this idea that uh, it's about teaching biblical information, uh, that that's really what God is looking for, teaching biblical information. So we'll teach them about Noah, we'll teach them about Daniel, and so on. There's nothing wrong with that in that we should do that. But that's just laying a very simple foundation. What God is looking for is that we impart the essence of Christian faith and trusting God to our children and grandchildren, isn't it? Right. Exactly. Um, we can teach the Bible by saying you need to be like Daniel and pray, or you need to be like David and be courageous. You need to be like like Noah and obey. Or we can teach the Bible from the perspective of who God is and, and God's story and why he put these, these stories in the Bible which all lead to Jesus. And um, and the gospel is is what is the essence of what God is trying to to lead us to in the Bible. And we need to know who God is. And and I really believe that if we 
focus on on the attributes of God, on who God is, kids will be much less likely to leave that God um, instead of trying to perform for God and then realizing when they get older that that, that God is not going to follow their agenda. And well, I, I think there's too much interest in, in conveying, uh, conveying information about uh the Bible of the of God rather than the God of the Bible. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. And uh, I mean, the character of God has to be modeled, manifested in the life of mom, in the life of dad. And uh, when Jesus came, he came uh, as the manifestation of the Father in the flesh. He was uh, God fleshed out. And uh, what did he do? He built relationship with 12 men. He chose them. He walked with them. He talked with them. He broke bread with them. He dealt with them in their arguments. And uh, interestingly, that's how he discipled them. He didn't teach them about facts. He taught them about the essence of faith. And I think that's one of the big problems. We're most of Christian discipleship these days and for a long, long time has been informationally directed rather than transformationally directed. And God never commanded us to be informed. He commanded us to be transformed and that by the renewing of our minds that we might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we always try to do an end run. Take the easy way out. Information because we don't know how to deal with the issue of transformation, I think. Yeah, I, be- I believe that's right. And kids, they look at us, they can tell our the authenticity of what with God. And they watch us, and they, they our lives will determine whether they want Jesus or not. And and we need to ask God for help, and and this is being parents is a very humbling experience. Oh, indeed, it is the the hardest job we'll ever have. And but God is with us. Um, God is totally with us when we ask for His wisdom and His help, especially for my journey, my journey in walking with Him. Mm-hmm. Well, in October of two thousand six. You felt called uh, to launch what you call Reconnect Ministries to influence the culture of the church, that is, the the body of Christ uh, gathered in the home, to better reflect the biblical model for passing faith to the next generation. And uh, you say that the role of the church as a whole is to come alongside parents as an extended family. Uh, I would agree with that. I think part of the problem, Julie, is we have a wrong view of what the church really is. A wrong view of what the church really is. The church is not the end all to end all. It is the collection of moms and dads and children who have embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And uh, what's happened, Jesus said, I'll build my church, you make disciples. But what we've decided to do over the past three generations is to build churches and have neglected to make disciples 
Now we have lots of big churches, but very few disciples, particularly among our young people. That is totally right, I believe. Um, We've been focusing on the wrong thing, and in the larger churches, a child will not worship with their family for 18 years because there's programming happening for every age group. Um, So we've actually inadvertently broken God's plan and purpose for raising up our children, thinking that somehow we were doing them a favor by tearing them apart from their own families. Right. Unbelievable. Don't have they don't have a place in their parents' church, and I've heard kids go to college and well, are you going to keep going to church? Well, church is something I did when I was a kid. You know, that's what when I learned everything, and so it's really not relevant now. Mm-hmm. And when kids go back home to their to their parents' church, it's not their church. Um, their church was the youth group, which is totally disbanded and. They don't have roots in a church, and they didn't ever feel like they were needed or a part of that church. Well, I think and part I- of the problem is, again, we're, we look at the church as a building. We look at the church as a place where uh, people gather rather than the people that gather there. And the right. Bible doesn't see the church that way. The Bible sees the church as the people that gather, not the place exactly. where they gather. So the place becomes relatively irrelevant because the people have become irrelevant. Mm -hmm. So we're trying to teach children to have greater relevance when, in fact, we're actually destroying the very relevance that God had intended for there to be. Uh, it's, it's It's a you could actually say it's a kind of wickedness that's taken place to undermine God's plan and purpose with regard to the raising up of the next generation. And I was so appreciative when I read your book, uh, For the Faith of the Next Generation, and you talk about Psalm 78. And I want to share with you, uh, you didn't know this, but uh, just a few years ago, I wrote a book called Hearts of the Fathers, Leaving a Legacy That Lasts. And it's all about fathers being the primary progenitors of the faith from God's viewpoint and how we have fallen short, just totally failed virtually uh, to be the spiritual leaders in our homes and of our children. And how do we recover that? How do fathers truly become spiritually minded fathers? That's what the whole book is about. And at the very beginning, I share this, the father's heart for fathers taken directly from Psalm 78 verses one to eight. Give ear, O my people, to the words of my mouth, which we have known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he established a testimony and appointed a law, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them even the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them to their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep 
his commandments and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose spirit was not steadfast with God the Father. That says it all, doesn't it? It does. It gives us definitely the blueprint of how God intended for faith to pass from one generation to the next. And it's truly a, a miracle if you look back that, that, that there's still faith. And, but we need, we need parents to step up right now in this really challenging time, um, and really lead their children and, most of all, have a relationship themselves that that invites children to come into and to desire to have what their parents have. Absolutely. All right, the book, friends, for the faith of the next generation. It's a resource for ministry leaders and parents. $23 on our website, saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. We'll be right there back. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. Saveus.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at saveus.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, saveus.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, saveus.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast live and archived. Save America Ministries website at saveus.org. ministry friend and colleague, Dr. Rob Reno, who is the founder of Visionary Family Ministries and has joined us here on this program many a time, says of this book by Julie Kurz, God can use this book to transform your ministry and your family. These pages are filled with God's plan for parents and grandparents to take the lead in passing faith through the generations for local churches to develop an intentional plan to partner with families for the sake of the gospel. Julie writes, with a love for God, a commitment to Scripture, a passion for families, and deep experience in ministry, and if you're passionate about next generation follow Jesus in your family, in your church, this book will sharpen your vision and encourage your heart. Uh, that's a pretty, uh, pretty strong endorsement there, uh, Julie. And the word that catches my attention there is the last word in his statement the heart the heart of the matter is always the heart and it seems that that's what's often missing in our relationship with our kids we're concerned about their behavior we're concerned about their actions we're concerned about their experiences but we're not concerned about their hearts why is that oh very, very complex, and I totally agree that that God is looking for our hearts. Um, I think we've we've scattered our hearts in so many di- different directions. And um, do you think the culture has captured our hearts as parents? Uh, there's no doubt about that. 
Do you um, think the culture has captured the heart even of uh, ministry leaders in the church? I think that's true as well. So then how yeah. in the world could we expect the culture not to capture the hearts of our children and grandchildren? Right. Yeah. And there, we we just need to have a come-to-Jesus moment and really see ourselves and see if our hearts are in the right place um, and see if we are really balanced in our lives and and have Jesus at, at the front and at the forefront of our of our home and of our lives isn't it easy, isn't it interesting that Jesus right there in the Beatitudes in a sermon on the mount rather uh, said in Matthew 6:33 but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all the other things will be added unto you. The problem is we want to add all the other things, but don't want to seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Therefore, we don't get the kingdom of God, we don't get his righteousness, and we see it being played back to us in the life of our children and grandchildren and the culture around us that's deteriorating more and more, even among professing Christians. It's unbelievable. How is it we can't see this? Well, it's just our humanity. It's our, I mean, that verse, I read that verse as a young believer, a young mom, and Mm -hmm. it's, it's so hard to to think that that I have to wait for those things that I should love Jesus more. It's not it's not within our our spiritual nature. And and I I learned that even the desire to really want Jesus when I really was honest about with myself, I had to ask myself, do I really want Jesus more than I do the things in the world? Mm-hmm. And so I went on a journey to just and just asking God to give me that desire because I don't think it even it does not come natural for us. Mm-hmm. Well, um, even, it's even it's also we, a reflection of whether or not we're uh, we're really converted. An awful lot of uh, leaders over the past uh, fifteen twenty years have come out with statements uh, saying that you know I, it, it does not appear that the majority of people who are professing to be Christians attending our churches are, have even been converted. And, and I think that that is, um, that's true. And we, we accuse a lot of other people of that, a lot of other denominations. And, but I think it's very true within our own, Mm -hmm. um, within the um, evangelical community. Yeah, exactly. And, so we we need to humble ourselves before the Lord and, and realize that that we that in our own hearts and our own desires that we need to even ask for God's help in desiring Him alone and, and that's a huge that's a process and and I believe we're all on a journey and God captures our hearts and then we. We give our hearts to other things, and like I think God is 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 pursuing us constantly, mm-hmm. and 
giving us opportunities to come back and to start again. And this, I, this business of shepherding a child's heart. Uh, I remember years ago when uh, Ted Tripp came out with that book, Shepherding a Child's Heart, and yes. uh, he joined us here a number of times on Viewpoint to talk about that. Such an important book it was, and uh, the message still exists. God is calling us as parents to shepherd our children's hearts. It's not just about behavior. Parents are right. more concerned about behavior because that's what other people see, so it becomes a motivation of pride for a parent to make sure their children are behaving well. Well, right. behavior is good. We need to have proper behavior. But if the behavior is not coming or issuing out of the heart, then the behavior can change rapidly when mom and dad aren't present. Right. And that's how we change our culture as well, one person at a time, because it has to come through our heart and changes then will will, will it be made as a result of, of people's hearts changing toward God. All right, Julie, you have three kids, right? I do. And uh, you have seven grandchildren, right? Yes. Okay. Now, Noah had three sons. He couldn't change the whole world. But it was because Noah had faith in God and was seen righteous in his generation that God used one man, one father, one one ultimate grandfather to bring salvation, temporal salvation, to the whole planet. Now, his sons didn't all walk in that way. But God used a man who was righteous and faithful in his generation. Why is it that we have such a difficult time seeing that God isn't looking for Julie to save the whole world? He's not looking for Chuck Chrismeyer to save the whole world or even save America for that chance. No, it's one person at a time, one family at a time, one child at a time. That's what we need to see. That's where our role is, isn't it? We need to look at our sphere of influence. Yes. It begins with our home. It begins with our neighborhood. It begins with the friends that that God has put on our path. Um, And that is what we're responsible for. And and when the bottom line is we're responsible for one thing, and that's our walk with God. And God will open up that pathway and invite people on it. And but our our effort should be mostly about our walk with God, and are we loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? And it's hard for a parent to do that and live that out when the parent in this generation sees their primary responsibility as being their child's friend rather than their parent. Right, and. And I believe relationship is the most important thing, but we also have to know that we are a parent um, for a time. Um, but relationship is relationship equals influence, and if we lose relationship with our children or anyone else in our life, we've lost our influence, 
So it's a, a very tricky balance being a parent um, and keeping that relationship really solid and strong. It seems, as as I've grown up in the, the broader body of Christ in numerous denominations, my father was a pastor for 50 years, uh, it seems that the tendency has been to look at uh, what it means to become a Christian as one confession. I make a confession of Christ, and then, well, there's nothing left. That's it. I made a confession of Christ. I'm in. I don't have to be concerned about anything else. And I, I think that has led to serious problems of lack of discipleship, lack of training, lack of understanding. So a parent and even pastors think and act as if the only thing that really mattered was to uh, get a notch on the belt that somebody made a confession or signed a card or raised their hand or whatever, and that was it. No. Anymore, that would not be it any more than if a baby exits his mother's womb, that that's the end of the story. No, that's the beginning of the story. Exactly. And I, I think we have, we have made salvation an event and, um, and we, we had to do that with the curriculums that we had in the past, um, because they were very performance focused. They were fo- focused on, like you talked about, behavior mm-hmm. and developing character through studying the Bible, which is not the purpose of the Bible. The Bible is the gospel. And I, but we had to have events like VBS and camp to share the gospel because we were focused in Sunday school on character and studying the, the Bible heroes by the character they had or the lack of it. And not to be like those people, but to be like the ones who had good character. So, yeah. Well, um, it's a both-and situation. I, we have to come into the relationship, but then we have to live like Jesus. And that's going to involve a radical change of life, the character, behavior, and all of the rest of it. That's the fruit that reveals the root. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Where do we go from here in discipling our children, our grandchildren? Is it even possible to communicate 
and pass along the genuine faith of the gospel to the next generation? Have we totally failed? Dr. James Dobson, a longtime friend of mine, uh, joined me on the floor of the National Religious Broadcasters Convention about 10 years ago and on live radio confessed that we had lost the culture wars, just completely lost the culture wars. And indeed, we have. Let's look at the statistics. Look at the statistics. But that being a given, we are still called to occupy till Jesus comes. What does it mean to occupy? What does it mean for parents and grandparents to occupy till Jesus comes? That's what we need to understand. What is my role? What is my responsibility if I have not done a good job of training up my children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, in the ways of the Lord, if I have not genuinely passed the baton seriously within my lane and in the time allotted to my children and grandchildren, what am I going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? That's really the test of our time, isn't it, Julie? It is, and and I, I think God is, is, is willing and ready to meet us where we are, and to um, give us hope for the future of our of the next generation. Um, but that hope has to be based on something transitive in our own lives. It can't happen uh, by uh, putting the Bible under our pillow at night and hoping upon it. It requires right. us to be doers of the word and not just hearers not just affirmers of what God says, but actually participating in our role, our responsibility, in our limited sphere of influence to be doers of the word. And I just do not see that, generally speaking, among parents. And all the statistics that you're quoting in your book, all the statistics that my friend George Barna has brought forth for the past 30 years prove that that's not happening. So are we really willing to admit that we have not done what God asked us to do and we're willing to get back on the track, get up on the bicycles that we fell down on because we got in a rut, and let's begin this ride again toward the second coming? Are we willing to do that? That's a question. Are we willing to do that? And I I don't see it out there in general. I don't see it. For instance, let me give you an illustration. Um, When I came out with the book Hearts of the Fathers about five years ago, what I discovered is that it was the women that bought the book. It wasn't the men that bought the book. It was the women. Two-thirds of all of those books were purchased by women. Why? Because men were not willing to take up the mantle of their responsibility before God and become the spiritual leaders of their home. They weren't willing and still are not willing. That's my concern, and it causes me to weep. And I believe Father God is weeping, too, because even though we know what's happening, 
We still refuse to do anything about it. So if there's really hope, aren't we going to have a change of life, of pattern, of ways, of commitment, and even come before God in repentance, confessing our failure, and then become become doers of the word to disciple our children for destiny? That's the question, Julie. Yep, and I think that that is need. Um, the church needs to change its role, and we need to come alongside, and we need to train our parents as to how to do this. Um, there are so many resources that we have. We're, we're not resource short. We're focus short. And mm-hmm. the church can come alongside. The, the church can um, train parents. Um, in in many many ways that and many resources that are available. Like what? Um, family time training is a great resource. Um, my friend Kirk Weaver wrote a chapter in the book, mm-hmm. and he has turned his ministry over to Jenna Halleck. You can find resources um, from family time training um, online. Um, we used to have a family time um, in our family, and mm-hmm. our kids chose to be at our family time, even when they were invited to their kids' house, their houses overnight. Um, and That's great. That they were able, what that we did together. But you did that as a family. That wasn't that wasn't the broader church, a body of Christ, that uh, uh, brought that about in your life. That was right. your family. Exactly, and then. The, the family time has resources. We never had the resources, but now there's the plans are already in place um, as how you can have a fun and a time when we learn about God and then have activities. Um, so that is one of my my main um, resources. Um, there's so many books um, that are available. Um, that we can use for devotions. And um, I had one family that just read a portion of the Gospels in the morning, and then they talked about it at night. Mm-hmm. Um, we just need the church to encourage us to find the resources to get these these plans and to help us and to have us be accountable that we're doing it and, and with challenges that we're having – Who is the church that is going to do that? Who is the church? Well, hopefully, the church is 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 um, looking at the situation. No, but who is the church? Who is the church? Is the believers in Christ? Okay, so we are the church. You are the church. Everyone listening to this program is the church, right? Right. So we're not looking to somebody else to tell us what to do. God is telling us what to do, and it's time for us to get about doing it, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yep, and we have so many so many resources, but most of all, we have God's Spirit that will help us as we 
as we call to him and ask him for for direction and help and and I believe he'll bring people along the way to help us and guide us along this path of bringing our children back mm. into faith. A pastor once said, faith is a long obedience in the same direction. I really like that. Faith is That's a long true. obedience in the same direction. And if that be true, then this matter of raising up children to follow the Lord, to love the Lord, to obey the Father, and so on, is a long process. It's not something instantaneous. It's not something that can be accomplished just by bringing into a place of making a confession of faith. Right. Is it? Right. We have 18 years, at least, with our children at home, and then God designed it that we are with our children through all the major events of their life when they get married, when they have children. And so we as parents have that opportunity to walk along with our kids, even into adulthood, and then our grandchildren to influence them in the ways of the Lord. And um, so it's, it's an awesome responsibility, and I think I, I understand God so much better mm-hmm. as a result of a parent. Well, yeah, and, because he's a father, and he looks down, and he says, if I, he said to Israel and, the, and Israel's leaders, if I be a father, then where's my honor? What are you guys doing? You don't consider me as God your father? What in the world are you guys doing? And I think he's looking down on us today and he said, you know, I, I'm getting ready to send forth my son to receive my bride, but I'm having a hard time finding who that might be because you're not doing what I asked you to do. You're not discipling. You're not raising up the children. You're not doing what I asked you to do. You're not passing the baton. You're not raising up the next generation. Please. I think he's pleading with us. Come on, guys. How about getting on board and seeking first my kingdom and my righteousness? And it begins with your influence with your kids and your grandkids. Isn't that what God's saying today? It's a privilege to be able to to do that and to know God better because we get to be involved in the lives of our kids. So it's not just a responsibility. It's a privilege, isn't it? Yes, it is. That's how my wife and I see it. We see this as our greatest responsibility, but also our greatest privilege, more so than what we do here on the air for the past 27 years, discipling for destiny, because ultimately... If we're not doing that in our own household, if we're not doing it in our own broader spheres uh, within our family, we can't control the family. We can't dictate to them, but our responsibility is to do our best to pass the baton uh, in our generation, isn't it? And it's interesting as I look back, um, and I, I had a group of young moms that we we talked about who we have led to the Lord, and not one of those moms recognized that they had led a child to the Lord. And and it, it really um, leads me to believe that we were never taught this. And I, I look back, I don't remember any sermons and any teachings that I had that, that told me that my sphere of influence is first my family. 
and we didn't we weren't taught we weren't given resources we weren't really led along that path to the point where we don't even recognize that evangelism is first done with our own family mm-hmm. and that's our, our primary sphere of influence it sure is and you know as as i'm listening to you talk i do not remember any time when me or when when i or my brothers and sisters were ever relegated to children's church were ever relegated to some other kind of alternative worshiping situation we were always present in the broader body of Christ, with the generations always present. And I believe that's what is is sorely lacking in the church today. And it it comes from feeling like we are doing a better job teaching our children, when in fact, most of our children's teaching comes from being with us and 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 seeing our lives and. Eighty um, percent of teaching comes through modeling, and twenty percent mm. through teaching actual teaching. There you go. That is the the ratio we need to have in the church. Isn't it interesting? The Bible says that Jesus chose twelve to be with him. His whole ministry was a ministry of witness. With him, he did yep. not have a do it to you ministry like what is modeled. Uh, by the modern churchianity of our time. It was with you ministry. And I think that's what needs to be recaptured. I think that's a lot of what you're trying to communicate here in your book, For the Faith of the Next Generation. This is a resource, friends. $23 will put the book in your hands. It's on our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA. 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries. P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Ready to check at $5 for postage and handling. Remember, we're preparing the way of the Lord for history's final hour. We're discipling for destiny. This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. Discipling parents and grandparents. This very day, will we respond? The angels are wondering that right now. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.